the best starting point is to think about your website user experience because that's something that's never going to change. Google are never going to say, oh, this website is too high quality. It's too, it's too <laughs> well designed. It's too useful for people. We're not going to show it on the first page of search results. That's kind of a timeless strategy. And by good user experience, I just mean, is it really clear to your website users who you are as soon as they land on your website, what you provide and kind of who you're for? Hello and welcome to Smart Online Marketing, where I chat to switched on entrepreneurs and experts to chat about smart strategies to build your business in a profitable and sustainable way. My name is Katie Griffin and I am in the digital marketing game. I specialize in Google ads and I've worked one-on-one with clients such as Showpost, Homework Allure and Snuggle Honey Kids. And I also have my own course teaching small businesses how to grow profitably using Google ads. If we haven't met before, I'm a kombucha loving Real Housewives apologist alongside my love of all things pop culture. And yes, that does include the Kardashians. I'm a mum of two, a self-confessed hippie at heart with a love of all things business. On today's show, we have Sophie Caldercott, who is a writer and mother, and she lives in a cosy cottage on the edge of Dartmoor National Park in the southwest of England. She's a journalist, and she's worked for companies like the Ethical Fashion Forum, Verily Magazine, and Marie Forleo. And she also writes for publications like Harper's Bazaar, Brut & Co, and Darling. Another part of her business is that she teaches others how to grow their website traffic with her uniquely intuitive approach to SEO. She believes in doing less and doing it well. And also, she's obsessed with SEO as a slow living, friendly growth strategy. If you are interested in learning more, you can go to her website, which is sophiecaldercott.com to grab a free guide to intuitive SEO. And she's also got lots of other handy resources. In today's chat, we talk about how to use SEO to grow your organic search traffic. So my particular strength is working with businesses on their Google ads and using Google ads to grow your traffic. But obviously, there's a lot of other ways you can do that. And SEO is one of them. So SEO and Google ads go really nicely together. They're a great complement to each other. And so if you break down some of the strategies in using SEO as a long-term growth strategy. We cover why she loves SEO, why it's more of a habit and a mindset than a quick fix, and also how the pandemic has been affecting how people are searching on Google. Let's get stuck into the chat with Sophie. Welcome, Sophie. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. It's lovely to be here. I know it's very early because you're on the opposite side of the world, but I appreciate you getting up a little bit earlier to talk to me and talk all things SEO. As I mentioned in the intro, I am utterly confused when it comes to a lot of things regarding SEO. I think it's kind of like Google ads, which I specialize in, but it's kind of, unless you know what you're doing, it can be really overwhelming. So why don't you give us an overview on like what you do, who you are and why you love SEO so much? Yeah. So I originally came across your work because I was equally confused about Google ads and there is a kind of overlap there. And um, I was just thinking to myself that there must be an expert in Google ads who wasn't, who kind of spoke my language and was able to translate it. People like me. So yeah, so there's definitely an overlap there. So I'm a writer and I trained as a journalist and I 
have worked on various different teams producing online content. And I came across SEO as a growth strategy about five years ago when, well, five, six years ago, it was back in 2014 when I just joined the team at Verily Magazine and they had they were transferring all their efforts from being a print publication to being an online only publication. So they were really getting to know the online space and how to connect with readers online. And it was actually around 2014, there was a a series of algorithm changes on Facebook, if you remember, but everybody was kind of impacted because suddenly it went from, you know, you post something and your fans see it to you post something kind of tiny percentage of your fans see it and then if you pay more some more of your fans see it it definitely became like a pay-to-play game yeah it was a shock to the system I think for a lot of small businesses and well not even just small businesses I think everyone felt a little bit yeah a little bit on the back foot because we had spent a lot of effort building up Facebook likes basically and then relying on the traffic from Facebook so yeah, so I started, I was working on headlines at the time for article for articles. They published about four new articles, four to six articles a day. And I stumbled across a blog post about how to optimize your headlines for search. And that kind of just got me going down a rabbit hole about, you know, SEO and everything that it involves. And I thought, wouldn't that be great if we could not be so stressed about Facebook, if we could just you know, still be doing our best over there, but also have this other source of growth and connection with our readers. Because so the thing that piqued my interest about search was that you don't have to be constantly pushing it. You can kind of front load the work so you can do it in your own time. And it helps new people who are searching for what you're providing, find your work whenever they're searching, even if you know, you're asleep or it's the the nighttime on the other side of the world or, or, you know, whatever it is. And so, yeah, so I just started reading everything I could find about SEO and I took a few online courses about it and just started trying to piece together how it could work for our team. And then in the October of that year, I implemented kind of SEO strategy based on old content. Basically, I wanted to test it out on the articles that we had already published. And I went back through and optimized various pieces of old content and kind of watched how that did and the search traffic started to grow. So then I trained the rest of the editorial team to in some best practices that would help them make the new pieces that we published SEO friendly as well. And yeah, and then once I look back, at the Google Analytics nine months later, I compared the nine month period after I'd started working on SEO with the nine month period prior to that and the search growth. Um, it had almost grown by five times the amount, as five times wow. as fast as the previous previous period. And yeah, from exactly the month that I'd started working on it. So I was like, huh, okay, this is, you know, it's, it's obviously, it's not a quick fix, but it's a, definitely a long-term kind of strategy and then I kept working on it and we kept plugging away at it and it became kind of habit for the editors on the magazine it just became rather than like an extra thing on our to-do list it became just a seamless part of what we were doing and part of the research that they did before they planned articles and things like that so it wasn't a lot of extra work but it became our steadiest source of growth and yeah it was it was search traffic was 
constantly growing a little bit. And it was just a nice thing in the background that when I left the magazine, it was still the biggest source of growth for them. So yeah, wow. that's how I fell in love with SEO. <laughs> and you mentioned a couple of things here that I want to talk about. Mm. So is there like a one size fits all approach to SEO? I think it's a bit, like I mentioned, it's a bit like Google ads where you think, I don't actually know where I'm meant to start. If someone is mm. looking to start using SEO as a long-term growth strategy, where do you start? Like what's the first thing that you need to do? Well, I actually teach what I call intuitive SEO and that's partly because it's based on my experience with the online magazine that I mentioned where everybody's busy, everyone's got a million different things going on and and in my own work as well, I think as a working mom who's carving out time for work as well alongside looking after kids, I don't have a lot of time around my client work for actually focusing on my website or doing a whole lot of extra stuff there. And then there's another reason I like to think of it as intuitive or a set of habits or best practices rather than a kind of add-on that needs to be super intense, which is there's a lot of advice about SEO out there and everyone will say different things. So people say, I tested this and this one thing, you know, is like it all hinges on this one thing or this thing really moved the needle for me. And it's really different for everyone. So I think becoming familiar with how search works and then starting to implement some best practices in your own work and seeing what works and what helps your own traffic because everybody's content's so unique and everyone's website's so unique. I think that's really the best approach because Google also doesn't want anyone spamming or tricking the system and the their algorithms are so advanced these days. So their primary focus is to provide users of Google with high quality, relevant content. And so over time, stuff has developed with Google that you used to be able to kind of keyword stuff and get up on the top slot just because you had mentioned a certain keyword over and over again. And then the algorithm changed. It used to be all about links and like how many people had linked to your website. And then people, well, obviously, there's always people who are going to spam, you know, try and track the system. So people would pay people to link to them. And that was a big thing. So all of that is behind us now. Google weighs up everything and you can have not very many links to your website and still come up on the first page of search results, although links do help still. Or you can use the keyword a little bit, but not very much and still come up on the first page of search results. So it's kind of a balance of everything. So (laughs) that doesn't really help as to where to start. But so I think the best starting point is to think about your website user experience because that's something that's never going to change. Google are never going to say, oh, this website is too high quality. It's too too (laughs) well designed. It's too useful for people. We're not going to show it on the first page of search results. That's kind of a timeless strategy. So, And by good user experience, I just mean, is it really clear to your website users, who you are as soon as they land on your website, what you provide and kind of who you're for. So those things kind of sound like basic points, but it's you'll be surprised how many people I work with who have spent so long looking at their websites that they can't see it with fresh eyes and they don't realize that they haven't actually kind of clearly stated in page like page headings or copy on their homepage or a copy on their product pages, they haven't clearly stated what it is that they're offering. And so just looking at your website with some fresh eyes or even getting someone else to do it for you. I know there are kind of apps where you can 
watch people clicking around your website and talking as they're going, you know, strangers just kind of talking about what they think your website is for. So that, those kinds of things can be really helpful just to make sure that your message is really, really crystal clear. And that's something that I learned at Verily as well, because we're writers first and foremost, and we had all been trained in print rather than online. And in print, you can afford to be a little bit more poetic with your headlines and your with your writing, because you've already got the reader engaged. They're already holding the magazine in their hands. So you don't have to convince, well, you, apart from on the cover, you don't have to convince them to pick it up. They're already holding it. So online everybody's attention spans are a lot shorter also just it's just kind of courteous to let them know what they're getting into they want to they're not going to click on something that sounds really cryptic and mysterious Mm. they just want to know what they're reading and what they're clicking on so that's a good starting point and the other thing you said is when you get onto your site and that can be really confusing I guess seeing your site from someone else's point of view like it's hard to step outside that you're too involved Mm. yourself where do you start? Do you start with pages that are going to get the most traffic? Do you start with, like, how would you choose if you're going to start to optimize a page when you get down to that level? Yeah. So I would start with the key pages of your website, like your homepage, your about page. Those tend to also be the ones that get the most search traffic. And I would also go to, if you have a website already, if you're not in the design stage, if you're in the design stage, I would just pick, you know, maybe if you have a services page or a couple of key products that you are kind of you would pick out as your top sellers or what you would hope to be your top sellers or whatever if you already have a website that's really helpful because you can go to google analytics where you can look at the top pages for search traffic and really focus on those so it's kind of the idea that you're already getting some traction there so you focus your efforts there and usually that will be your homepage, your about page, maybe your services page or or a couple of products that stand out or a couple of blog posts that stand out. And you might be surprised which blog posts are currently getting search traffic. So you can also go to Google Search Console, which I really love doing. And you can go to the list of queries and you'll see a list of phrases that people are using on search that lead them to your website. So that's one of my favorite places to look when I'm thinking about where to start. And in terms of the copy, so the the kind of first best practice would be just to make sure that you've really made it clear what you're doing and what you're offering and who you're serving, what media you're needing. And that needs to be clear kind of everywhere that you can think of that there are words. So any of the places you have copy and in titles and also on image titles and image descriptions because if you think about Google also has that visual search element so that you want to be using every little space available on your website to just describe what it is that you're doing um, in a kind of clear and succinct way and in the the metadata for your website which sounds scary but it's just the slot on each page that describes what your page is about so that when it comes up in Google search results that's the text that Google will pull And if you haven't filled that out, they'll just make it up. They'll kind of pull their own text there. So it's another opportunity to say, hey, this is what I'm about. This is who I'm for. Click through if you want to find more or, you know, write a kind of compelling short invitation to people to click through. And from there, I think the first best practice really is clarity. 
clarity and just making it clear what you're about. If you want to go a little bit deeper, you can do some keyword research and weave those keywords into the copy on all of those kind of on the backbone of your website, all those main pages that I mentioned. And this is where Google Ads overlaps with search for me was I was wanting to use Google's keyword planner because they have a free keyword planner tool, but it's only free for people who have adverts running with Google. So (laughs) if you have a Google ad up and running, you can use the Google's own keyword planner. And if you don't, there's a free one called Uber Suggest by Neil Patel. And basically you just enter in what you think your keyword might be to a keyword research tool like that and hit search and it will come up with some information which isn't accurate by the way it's a kind of guesstimation they're trying to predict the future so different keyword research tools will give you different numbers so I wouldn't get too hung up on the numbers but it will give you some information about kind of predicted search volumes for how many people will be searching for that key phrase a month and also the kind of difficulty it gives a kind of difficulty score or competition score for how hard or easy it will be to compete with what else is already out there on that topic. So you're looking for decent average monthly searches and as low a competition score as possible. And you might search a key phrase that you think, you know, maybe you, or this is just somebody I'm working, some client project I'm working on at the moment, well-being in gardens. You might kind of, gardening for mental health, you might enter that search phrase and it's the kind of the concept that underpins your whole brand. And you might find that no one's really searching for it (laughs) or the keyword Mm. planner tells you that no one's really searching for that. And so the key is not to panic when something like that happens. Don't necessarily change what you're doing or how you're describing it, but you just want to see what the keyword planner tool pulls up as alternative suggestions because there might be a slightly different phrase. There might be a phrase, maybe it might be that people aren't really using that phrase, but they're using a similar related one that you could easily shift your language to include. Or it might be that they're not searching for that, but the few people who do search for it would be your ideal client. So you still want to kind of go ahead and use that phrase. Or it might just be that is honestly what you do and you can't find a clearer way to describe it. So you keep using that phrase, but you also research what else, how else could I describe myself that people would understand in a way that people would understand in a way that connects with what people are looking for. So you might also say, I'm a garden designer or I provide garden inspiration and gardening tips in a way that nurtures that helps their garden become a space for well-being or something. So you still include that core thing that makes you different that people are not necessarily searching for, but you are also weaving in the things that people are searching for, which might be more practical kind of things like tips or inspiration for gardens or garden design, you know, that kind of thing. So I I know with like Google ads, what I find is, you know, you test a couple of keywords and then if they don't work, you move on. What Mm. if you go and spend all this effort completely optimizing your whole site and then you find that no one's actually using those terms to search for you? Is that why that research phase is incredibly important at the very beginning? Yeah, I would say, so rather than taking the attitude that you have to have the exact perfect keywords and you have to kind of keep doing keyword research until you find the perfect fit. Because Google is cleverer than that, they can spot related words. They'll scan your website and that as long as you have clear language, they will be able to tell 
kind of what you're providing there. So I get to keep going on the garden example. You might have lots of different content about gardens, garden inspiration, garden tips, design, and then also mental health and well-being. They will be able to see related words, for example, like pottery and ceramics or chocolate and cocoa, you know, things like that. So the research really is to understand who your people are and what they're searching for. So I think it is definitely helpful to do the research before you get too stuck into optimizing. But I do always recommend if you can't find a relevant keyword, not to get kind of stuck at that point, just to use kind of logical, clear language. An example that I often give for Verily Magazine was we had a lot of articles about women's health and women's cycles. And when I first was digging into this, we had used language in the titles and in the articles that was not very clear to search or for users, to be honest. It was like using phrases like aunt flow or surfing the crimson wave, you know, like kind of cutesy ways of referring to your period rather than just saying your period. Mm. And I guess it was just a kind of writer's choice to try and kind of jazz it up a little bit. But actually what it did was disguised from Google and, you know, and, and also users of the website, what those articles were actually about. So just by simplifying some of that language, our search traffic increased. And yeah, I think I, I remember researching, doing some research and, and thinking if I switched to using like, you know, referring to your period and stuff, the competition was very high. Like there were lots of articles about women's cycles, lots of articles about your period. And so I was, I was kind of skeptical that that was a good keyword, but the best keyword really is just the clearest <laughs> so that Google and your users can really understand what it is that you're providing. And once you have done that that implementation of you've started to do some mm-hmm. SEO work, how long can you expect before you do start to see those results? I mean, I, I know it's incredibly dependent on a lot of different factors, but from my perspective, SEO is more of a long-term play rather mm-hmm. than just a quick fix. Yeah, I think I always suggest looking back after about six months because then you can compare half a year to half a year previous. You're looking at a big, a nice big chunk of time. And my preferred way of working is definitely to look at a year, a year's worth of data. But you can start to see an increase in search traffic after a month or a couple of months. It can be as quick as that if you're, yeah, if you're being really intentional about kind of all the different pieces of SEO. But I've had students who have said that they've made a few really simple tweaks and within a month or two look back and being surprised to see growth straight away. So it really can depend. But one other thing to bear in mind is that you can sometimes stumble across a really great keyword that you didn't realize was a great keyword before you published a piece of content because you just felt really passionate about publishing that piece of content, but you used really clear language, didn't bother to do a lot of keyword research around it and look back a month or so later and you'll you might be really surprised to see that it's kind of search traffic has really been pouring in for that piece of content. And the thing that you want to do then is to make sure that you are providing somewhere else for that, uh, for those people who are finding you via search traffic for that one piece of content, they are providing somewhere for them to go afterwards to stay engaged. Because what often happens when we have a kind of accidental search hit is that a lot of traffic pours into that one page, but then you don't have a lot of related content 
for them to click onto and read, or you don't have a compelling call to action for them to kind of keep reading or get engaged or sign up to an email list or something or follow on social media from that piece. So the search traffic will come, but it won't then stick around, if that makes sense. The people who have found you via search for that piece will think, oh, you know, there's not a whole lot of content on this subject and they'll just click away. And yeah, and so your goal really is to be drawing them in deeper and providing more on that theme that they can engage with. And yeah, and and again, the calls to action are just about being clear and serving your audience well. So you're anticipating their needs and you're saying, if you enjoyed this, here are kind of three other posts on this topic that you might also enjoy. Or I write a lot about this on my Instagram feed, come and give a follow here. Or, Or I share a lot about the behind the scenes of X, Y, and Z here in my email list or I have this resource you can sign up for you know so you don't want just to be thinking about bringing in those new readers you also want to be thinking about how you're going to engage them and what you're going to ask them to do after they've read that one page of your website and really guide them through the next steps. And I know you talk about that SEO is about those small incremental steps and it's more Mm -hmm. of a you have to get into the habit. It's not going to, because I'm someone, I'm very impatient. I want, you know, everything to be now. And so how do you build that into, what are some practices that you can get in the habit of doing those daily or weekly, or what can you start to build into your process to make sure you've got SEO best practices at the forefront? Mm. I think doing a little bit of keyword research whenever you're at the ideas stage is great. That's what we did fairly that we found that was a really natural way to fold it into what we were already doing. So when you're planning a new page or a new blog post, you can just take that kind of extra half an hour or whatever you want it to be of time to go and have a little experiment with different keywords in a keyword research tool and find out what are people searching for. And you can hop over to Google Trends as well. And that's a free service from Google. You can just enter any keyword or topic and see how it's trending across the world in terms of search. And you'll find that there are different seasons that people search things more. So it's interesting at the moment with the coronavirus that I search for gardening and cooking and at-home workouts and at-home productivity tips and homeschooling tips. (laughs) And a lot of these things have a seasonal search kind of shape to them. So cooking, for example, really spikes around Christmas time because suddenly people who aren't usually cooking wanting to be able to cook for Christmas (laughs) but you'll see for all of those that they've all spiked recently kind of from March onwards because everybody's staying at home and they're suddenly needing to know what you know how to do all these things that they don't usually have to do so that's it's just really helpful to tap into those resources at the research phase But as I said, you can spend hours and hours and hours going down these rabbit holes of research. So just to kind of give yourself a time limit and say, okay, I'm going to do half an hour of research and then I'm going to go with, you know, what I've got. And the way that coming up with content ideas and ideas for what you want to put on your website works, you'll have ideas of what you want to do already. And when you do the keyword research, you'll then have ideas of what people are searching for. So you want to kind of find the sweet spot between what you really want to do and what you have feel compelled to share and also what people are looking for so then another best practice I think would be to google what 
is already on the first page of search results for that kind of topic that you're writing about or you're covering on your website page. So just so that you can see kind of what's already being provided and you can have a little think about how you could differentiate what you're offering and how you can go the extra step to provide, I don't know, so if you're designing a recipe and there's you want to provide the different measurements for you know, ounces versus grams or Fahrenheit and Celsius, maybe none of the other recipes provide those conversions right there on the recipe. Or maybe your carrot cake has orange and spices in it as well as other things. Or maybe you provide a vegan version of it on the same page. You know, just taking the extra step to offer something a little bit extra to help you stand out in the search results. And Another best practice is just to be kind of regularly keeping an eye on your Google Analytics, as we said, just in case there's a search term that you didn't realize you were doing really well at the kind of accidental search hit. So an example of that for me recently was I wrote a letter to my dear friend on her wedding day. And that became, I wrote that because it was something from the heart that I wanted to do anyway. And looking back, was really surprised to see that it was getting hundreds of hits via search every week. And so I need to go back. It's on my to-do list to go back and connect it with some of the other content I have. Also write other content in that area so that people have a place to go to after they've read that article. And also connect it with what I share on Instagram because I, I have a bit of a complicated business model where I do my own journalism and also client work and copywriting and SEO. So there are a couple of different strands there. But often I find people have, it's very rare for someone to have such a focused business that they are only talking about one thing. So we often have this kind of juggling act of different different interests and bringing different, tying different themes together in our work. So it's just good to think about, you know, as I mentioned before, where can these new people who are finding me via search on this particular page? Where can I send them next? How can I take them deeper? So that's kind of, if you're thinking about optimizing a new page or going back to optimize an old page that's doing well on search. But if you're looking at the bigger picture, I think it's also good to check in and check every couple of months or every month, if you can, the kind of bigger picture of your website. So have a think, are all the tabs in my navigation bar still do they still all feel very clear and relevant to all the content that I'm providing? Or do some of those need tweaking to, you might have suddenly kind of veered off in a direction of creating a lot of products or services around one particular thing. And that's not really reflected in your website's navigation anymore. So you want to make sure that that's kind of current and up to date, um, regular intervals. Yeah. But I think that the main thing really is, understanding that search is all to do with people and that therefore your website is supposed to be serving your people. And so part of that, a big, big, big piece of that is just being clear about in the language that you're using and also checking that you're using, as I mentioned, all of those opportunities to describe what you, what it is that you do. So Check if you've, you might want to go back on certain key pages, certain important pages or certain pages that of your blog that you know people regularly enjoy and discover and making sure that you've titled your images and you've used the alt text description on your images and that you've used that metadata 
box to really show off what it is that you do because it will help your users and it will help Google to know how to place you in search results and to know who to connect you with in, in the search results. I love that. I love that it's all about we're not trying to trick the system. I think that's mm-hmm. what SEO has been in the past is it's been about how can we trick the system to, well, not we, but how can people trick the system mm-hmm. to get more traffic? But when you get down to it, it is really about serving and trying to get your message in front of the right people. And I like to teach to my students as well that all traffic's not created equal. So you don't want to be getting traffic just for the sake of getting traffic. Yeah. You want to make sure it's strategic and that you've got an offer for them or you've got some way to make them mm-hmm. a lead or a sale or you want to have an end goal for that. So I think that the same strategy and, and mindset applies to SEO. It's just a different tool to flex than compared to Google yeah. Ads. Yeah, I would definitely agree. And I think that Google Ads, I think that that's actually a really helpful lens to see it through. So if you imagine your time is money and you're doing some keyword research for a page of your website, if you're spending a lot of time and energy researching a key phrase that doesn't relate to an end goal, it's kind of like wasting money on Google ads, like putting up an ad for a page or using keywords in your Google ads that don't really relate to anything that you provide, you know, that you don't really often talk about this topic. You don't really meet an ongoing deeper need there. It would be strange to put dollars on a Google ad in that situation. So you want to be as strategic about your how you spend your time and energy and focus and how you describe yourself as you would be if you were actually spending money on Google ads. Does that make sense? Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Well, thank you so much. You've provided so much valuable insight onto SEO and debunked a lot of things for me that I know that can be really confusing. So where can people reach out to you or connect with you to learn more about SEO and the work that you do? Yeah. So my website's probably the best place that's got the link to my free SEO guide that I'm revamping at the moment for, well, uh, it's Earth Day next week. So I'm revamping it for change makers and small businesses. And I would include kind of creatives and small businesses under the umbrella of change makers at the moment, because I think I just feel very passionately that I want everybody to be building up their small businesses so that we can survive this kind of hard bumpy period that we're all in together so it's not just the amazons of the world who come out at the other end so i'm revamping that so that will be available next week and yeah so my website is um www.sophiecaldercott.com and my instagram is also another place that i hang out um a lot and my handle is by sophie with lots of underscores in between (laughs) but if you search sophie caldercott i come up on instagram there as well Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you have liked what you've heard, make sure you subscribe. And I would love if you left a cheeky rating and review. That really helps bump me up in the charts. And if you want to share with a friend, that would also be fab. You can follow me at katiegriffin underscore on Instagram and also visit my website, sundaydigital.com.au. I have a free training that you're more than welcome to attend by going to sundaydigital.com.au forward slash masterclass where I go over 10 common mistakes that people are making with Google ads and just how you can avoid doing them. So I would love to connect with you, slide into my DMs, do all the things, and I will talk to you on the next episode.